handout. You really need a handout. There's enough for each individual to have one. So if you don't have one, get one because you won't be able to follow it without a handout. You'll see what I mean in a minute. Sheila, can you close the doors when you go out? Thanks. Um, so we're going to pick up. We left kind of in the middle of an outline, and I wanted to kind of resume in a place where we could look at a few things and emphasize the outline and where we're at. Uh, glad to see everyone. Thank you for all at home for uh, doing uh, streaming, either live streaming or recorded streaming. I'm glad. Welcome to everyone. Um, so let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to be with us as we look at one of the greatest chapters. All scripture is great, but this is a wonderful, wonderful chapter that has some fantastic um, revelations about Christ. And it's one of the one of the premier Christological, that is, things that have to do with the study of Christ, passages uh, in Scripture. And uh, let's ask the Lord to help us to look at this. Father, thank you for your word. We recognize your word does not return into you void. We pray, Father, that you would uh, share with us and help us to understand your word in a way which is uh, consistent with what you would like us to know. I pray that we would not just understand it, but we would apply it and that we would use it and that we would understand the significance of who Jesus Christ is, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that you would be with each one. We thank you for each family represented. I pray for those that are watching from home who can't come, who might be ill or need to stay home. Uh, we pray that you would be with each one. We pray for all those that are ill, those that are hurting, those that have needs, that you would uh, graciously provide for each one. And we pray for all of the families represented here. We pray for healing in those families and provision. Lord, I pray that you would be with me as I speak, uh, first time in a while. I pray that you would help me to be clear, concise, and to talk precisely about your word as we try to rightly divide the word of truth. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're on page one of the handout that says Colossians number seven, the ministry of Paul, part three, Colossians 1, 25 through 29. Now, the last time that I taught uh, was uh, November 6th. So, in recognition of two months, this is February 5th, and in, in, in recognition of those two months that, that, that went by intervening, I could barely remember my own name after about a month. So um, I want to go through this, and uh, if you'll be patient and sharpen your listening skills, I want to share with you some of the deep truths from God's word about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll go as far as we can get, but I don't want to rush. I would rather go longer than rush it and try to get through a certain period. Um, if you'll turn to Colossians 1, we're going to read 19 through 29. If you'll turn to Colossians 1, um, we're in a passage that talks about, and we're going a little bit earlier than 
the primary passage of 25 through 29, just to get the flavor and remind us of what we've talked about. But in the passage that we have that we're looking at today, 25, actually 24 through 29, there are four different aspects of Paul's ministry. He it indicates that he is a minister uh, for Christ of the church, and he talks about A, his suffering, and this is in the handout, page one at the top. You see, suffering is commissioned to preach, and I made that big and bold, and actually I highlighted it on mine because that's where we're at today, commissioned to preach. And that's in verses 25 through 29. And then coming up, so that's now. And then in the future, we'll talk about uh, Paul's concern and then his challenge in verses in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 and 6 through 7. So the ministry of Paul, four different aspects. So I'm going to read, and if you'll just follow along silently, um, I'm going to read 19 through 29 to give us a flavor of this chapter which is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because it tells us so much about the Lord Jesus Christ and Paul. So verse 19, Colossians 1, For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, by him, I say, whether there be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, verse 21, that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if or since you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice. We're in verse 24. Now we're going to be, the passages we're going to be looking at, uh, we'll look at 24 briefly in summary. Verse 24 of chapter 1 of Colossians. Who now rejoice... In my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof or of which I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, whom is Christ. Notice it doesn't say which we preach. It's whom we preach. Paul preached to Christ. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present Every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Wherefore, whereunto rather, verse 29, I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So that's our passage and the context for that passage. Um, and so, uh, so we have 
suffering, commission to preach, concern and challenge, four aspects, broad scope outline of uh, chapter one from 24 down through chapter two, six and seven. And we are currently on commission to preach 25 through 29. We might not finish it. So just to review suffering a little bit, Paul in the previous verses, 15 through 23, I'm under suffering on the outline. Paul in his previous verses, in the, the previous verses, 15 through 23, proclaim Christ's unique supremacy, his sovereignty, his superiority. And actually it's not in there, but his sufficiency. He's enough. He's sufficient. He's capable. And Really, we're talking about his preeminence. He is before all. Christ concluded, or rather, uh, Paul concluded in verse 23 with a reference to the spread of the gospel to the world with the statement that he has made a minister of the gospel. In 24, he states, verse 24, he states his sufferings are part of that ministry. So verse 24 says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you. Whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, end of verse 23, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is left behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. So in summary, condensing our previous lessons, Paul's sufferings in this verse reflect three principles. His sufferings for others, his sufferings are for others. You notice he says, uh, who rejoice in my sufferings for you. Paul was suffering for them. And uh, item B, under his Paul's sufferings, reflect three principles. His sufferings are identified with the afflictions of Christ. And then his sufferings were done with rejoicing. I'm still working on that aspect of uh, sufferings. When I suffer... I have, I have honed to a perfection whining, so I, I'm really working on not whining when I am suffering for Christ. So his commission to preach, so that's where we're at. That's item B on the middle of that page one, Colossians 1, 25 through 29. So the second aspect of Paul's overall ministry, his look at that and how he reveals that to the Colossians and to us, it's his proclamation of God's message, his commission to preach, his ministry of preaching. Now, this is why I wanted to kind of take a step back, because there's also four features of his preaching ministry. So his commission to preach, the outline at the top, suffering commission to preach, where we're at now, under that commission to preach, there's four features that Paul looks at. Paul's appointment in verse 25, Paul's message, 25b through 28a, Paul's method in 28b, and Paul's aim or goal in 29. So first, Paul's appointment. So Paul was appointed in verse 25a. He says, whereof or of which, that's from the church, referring to the church, the verse before, which is the church, of which I am made a minister. He said, I am made a minister. He also states, so he's a minister of the church, but he also states in passages that he's, and this is in your handout right under Paul's appointment, they're little diamonds. He's a minister of the gospel, Colossians 1.23. <clears throat> he tells us 
where am I, whereof I am made uh, a minister, that's the passage here, and then Ephesians 3, 6 through 7, he says that the Gentile, keep your place in Colossians 1 if you turn to these others because we're going to keep going back to Colossians 1, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise by the gospel, whereof, Paul says, I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effectual working of his power. So he's a minister of the gospel, okay? Then he's also a minister of God, 2 Corinthians 6, 4. But in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God and much patience and afflictions and necessities and distresses, he's a minister of God. He's also a minister of Christ, 2 Corinthians 11. He says, uh, verse 23, now, this is in a context where he's defending his authority and apostleship to, uh, against the, a bunch of uh, false teachers at Corinth who are saying that he is not, he's teaching false teaching and that they, the apostate false teachers, have uh, the truth. So he says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. Now, some of the Corinthians were... Um, comparing Paul with false teachers and uh, he's kind of answering fools according to their folly and uh, they were fully rejecting him and he was saying you're rejecting the gospel if you're rejecting me because I am a minister of the gospel and he's also a minister of Christ here he says are they ministers of Christ I speak as a fool I am more and labors more abundant, and stripes above measure, and prisons more frequent, and deaths often. So he takes this opportunity to give his resume of suffering, and he said, "I'm a Hebrew. I'm, I'm a, I'm from the seed of. I'm a Hebrew. I'm an Israelite. Uh, I'm a, of the seed of Abraham, and not all those false teachers were." He said he has the credentials. He's a minister of Christ. He has. Labor's abundant, stripes above measure, and prisons more frequent, and deaths off. He was in death, death's way often. Uh, in fact, uh, I, I kind of wrote this out so I could see all of the things that he suffered. He was in uh, labor's more abundant, far more, stripes above measure, beatings times without number, uh, far more imprisonments, uh, prisons more frequent, often danger of death, five beatings in verse 24 of 39 lashes. They stopped at 39 because they thought that was the surest way to not kill somebody but make them wish they were dead. And uh, 195 total in his life. Now, I don't want to describe what that was like because it, they, they purposely made made the... the they, they put ends of glass in the end of the leather. that It was just terrible. And people... some They, they made a arbitrary decision not to do more than 39 because they was afraid it would kill them. Uh, verse 25, three times beaten with rods, which is another torture, and uh, take a, a wand of rods and just beat them with that. And one time stone, three times shipwreck, a night and a day adrift, uh, and on journeys exposed to dangers in the rivers, the bandits, uh, and countrymen that were false, uh, Gentiles in the city dangers, in the wilderness danger, in the sea, false brethren, 
uh, those that betrayed him, uh, labor and hardship in verse 27, unable to sleep on watch, uh, hunger and thirst, fasting and lack of food, cold and exposure, lack of clothes, and pressure from concern for the other Christian brethren. Uh, in Damascus, the king Aretas tried to arrest him, but he was let down by a basket. Verse 32, he refers to that. Outside the wall, they let him down, and that's how he escaped. He has, I don't know how much the others suffered because they don't, they don't uh, give us the, uh, the, the resume of uh, suffering that he has, but he certainly suffered, and yet he rejoiced in his suffering. And he calls himself a minister of Christ. And uh, then also, finally, the last bullet under 1A, he's a minister of the New Covenant in 2 Corinthians 3.6. I wanted to share those things with you because we often don't remember how much he suffered. I don't know how he lived as long as he did. Uh, the Lord certainly supernaturally preserved him. Um, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, 2 Corinthians 3, 6. God, who has also made us ministers of the New Testament or New Covenant, not of the letter or law, but of the Spirit, for the letter, the law, kills, but the Spirit gives life. So he's a minister uh, of the church, the gospel, God, Christ, and the, New New, and the New Covenant or New Testament. Now, look at the last paragraph on page one. As a minister of the church, he is to serve and suffer. You see that recurrent theme, serving and suffering. In a manner, his job is to serve and suffer in the manner that's necessary for the welfare and the requirements, that's what's needed for the church and the gospel, as the Lord directs. You remember that challenge, my grace is sufficient for thee. Uh, and he says, in my weakness, uh, there's God's strength manifested. Suffering and service for Christ and the church become a duty and a responsibility in addition to the joy that he mentions previously in verse 24, where he says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is left behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church of which I am made a minister, suffering and service for the church. Now, we also have a duty and responsibility to serve, and we don't like to talk about it, but even suffer. Uh, not as apostles, but as servants of God and heirs of God. And Scripture is really clear over and over again, suffer and serve or serve and suffer. Romans 12, 1 through 8, I'm not going to read all of it. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, we all know this, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Sacrifice speaks of service. Holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, not unreasonable, but reasonable service. That's an expectation. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, which, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
Now, he also uh, goes down on verse and verse seven, where he says, "Or ministry." He says, "If you whatever having gifts, gifts according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry." Verse seven, let us wait on our ministering or he that teacheth on teaching or he that exhorteth on exhortation and he goes on and on uh, Hebrews 12 1 and 2 12 Hebrews 12 follows obviously chapter 11 it's kind of that hall of fame of faith all of the saints are mentioned in there the primary Old Testament saints that are mentioned and that they're an example of their faith and so the writer of Hebrews says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, those people that are in, uh, that were in the uh, Hall of Fame, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so doth easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. That's our example as those saints that uh, were mentioned as having faith. Looking unto Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our example to imitate here is the Lord Jesus Christ. He suffered, and we may suffer as well, and as we run the race with patience, uh, the race that's set before us, suffer and serve. 1 Peter 1, 7. I'm looking at the scriptures at the very bottom of page 1 of the handout under 1B, Paul's appointment and his, uh, the theme there of suffering and serving. Peter, chapter 1, 1 Peter 1, 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 4.16, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. And then 1 Peter 4, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice! inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached in the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. So, Suffering and service, a theme which Paul exemplified, certainly Christ exemplified that. And let's look at the top of page one. We're still under Paul's appointment uh, to be a minister. And so we're looking at verse 25, which uh, tells us, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So, He's a minister of the church, and uh, let's look at some of the words that express important thoughts. Now, there's uh, six diamonds here I want to look at. That's what I call them, diamonds. Is that a diamond? Looks like a diamond to me. Okay. So the word I is expressed separately from the verb in Greek for emphasis. So 
In Spanish, they do this. If you say, uh, I can't speak Spanish, but you say, yo soy, I think, as I am. So it, 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 if it, in the verb, um, and in many languages, the pronoun or subject uh, is expressed in the suffix, the end of the word, and they change according to whether they're plural uh, or, or uh, and um, whether they're first person, that's yourself, or uh, second person, others. And so, um, and plural or singular. So I is expressed separately, and the, it's like it's like repeating it. I I am um, a minister made a minister according to the dispensation of God, and it provides the sense in the text that this ministry and work is is unique and special from God for Paul. And so there's an emphasis there. And I like to bring that out because it's one of the nuances and textures that we lose in translation sometimes. So there's an emphasis on the fact here that Paul is doing the ministry that God commissioned him for, uniquely suited to him that God has equipped him to do. And he says, am made, number two bullet there. That means became or have been appointed. Now this points out that he took the position due to the Lord's calling. He responded to the Lord's appointment and calling and commissioning, not due to him assuming it on his own. God gave it to him and commissioned him, and he took it. It's God's calling, and it's God's commission, not Paul's commissioning of himself. He didn't assume it. He was given that minister. That means one who served. It's the same word that was used for Epaphras, and Epaphras being a minister of the Colossian church. And in verse 7, it's also used for Paul in verse 23. And then number 4. According to the dispensation of God. Now, most commonly we think about dispensation and, and the economy of times and dispensationalism and that part of theology. But this word is used here that it means Paul's appointment, his calling, and his commissioning to the office was on the terms of stewardship, arrangement and plan of God. So the Greek word here for dispensation is word is related to our word for economy, and um, the in Luke sixteen two through four, the the word stewardship is used, and Paul was a steward of the office of minister. And um, let me share a quote here with you. Um, okay, I'm gonna. Move on. I'm not going to go into Luke 16, 2 through 4. You can look at that if you would like. Paul viewed his work, reading from the paragraph according to the dispensation of God, fourth bullet down under C, words that express important thoughts. This indicates Paul viewed his work to which God had appointed Paul, he was appointed by God, as a sacred trust and a special privilege requiring the utmost accountability. His responsibility needs to be responsible to fulfill it. 
and his dedication and commitment to God to do that. He was commissioned by God, and Paul was accountable to God. Let me repeat that. He was commissioned by God to be a minister. He actually was an apostle. He spoke for God, and he was accountable to God. Now, McLaren, one of the old-time scholars that was really gifted, he said, He's the church's servant or minister indeed, but it's because he is the Lord's steward. In other words, he's God's steward, so he then is qualified to be the church's servant or minister. Now, here it brings to mind that we are God's stewards as well. And are we faithful? Well, I have three questions if to consider, do we regard what God gives us to do as a sacred trust and a special privilege like Paul did, no matter how big or how small it is? Now, if we are to clean the church, we should clean the church to the best of our ability, with enthusiasm, with joy, whatever we have to do, whatever we do. If we bring treats for the kids if we teach the young kids, if we work in the nursery, if we teach Sunday school, if we lead singing, if we go out visiting people, we should do that in a way which honors God and consider it a sacred trust and a special privilege, no matter how big or how small it is. That's the first question. Second question is, do we carry it out with the responsibility and dedication as if we were working directly for the Lord, because we are. We're working directly for Him. There's others between us, but we're doing this job, job for the Lord. Are we doing it with great concern to do the best that we can? Um, and then thirdly, are we not the Lord's stewards also? Um, Luke 16.10 says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is also unjust in much. So if we can't do the little things, how can we do the big things? And if we don't, um, if we're not faithful in the big things, that, that displeases God. If we're not faithful in the little things, how about being here? You know, just being here. That's a big deal. We appreciate it when you're here. You encourage other people. How about when we're here on time? And I'm not directing this at anybody, at anybody. But how about when we're here on time? That's honoring God and honoring each other and honoring the ministry. Uh, whatever God has uh, called us to do, we need to do it well. Um, and I wanted to share with you uh, stewardship. A steward is a slave, MacArthur says, that manages master's, master's household, supervising other servants dispensing resources and handling business and uh, financial affairs. Paul viewed his ministry as a stewardship, a set of responsibilities given to him directly from the Lord. The church is God's household, 1 Timothy 3.16. And Paul was given the task of caring for, feeding, and leading the churches for which he was accountable to God. All believers are responsible for managing the abilities that they have 
and the resources that God gives them. And I think we, under, we underestimate this, this responsibility we have from God both in the church and our lives. We think, oh, well, I can just surf through life and skate through. And I don't, we need to be serving the Lord with all our ability to the best of our ability in honor of him. Our worship is not only on Sunday, but every day of the week as we walk through our week, honoring him in what we do. So we honor him in the church and our service and also every day. So uh, look at um, for you. That's the fifth bullet. Uh, this stewardship of Paul's ministry is for the benefit of the Colossians and the Gentile Christians there and others. And we often pass over that. He said, uh, verse uh, 25, where have I made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God? This is for their own benefit. That's the what's in it for them. Paul said, I'm serving you when I'm serving God. Uh, and so uh, fulfill the word of God. The last clause here, to fulfill the word of God. What does that mean? What does it mean, fulfill the word of God? Well, there's three ideas that could be considered here. Number one, so see the inset in the one, two, three? Okay, the first one is to give, the question is, which of these applies? Does it mean, does fulfill the word of God mean to give full scope to, or does it mean that it refers to the spread of the gospel geographically to all the nations, that's Romans 15, 19, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. So is that, is that, does that fulfill the word of God mean give full scope to, to fulfill the uh, spread of the gospel to geographically to all the nations, including the Gentiles? Or does it mean make fully effective to bring in all those for whom the word of God was intended to the extent of who should receive the gospel? Does it mean that? Or does it mean in all its fullness? That is, does it refer to Paul's special ministry to make clear the true nature of the gospel and proclaim it for all men, not just the Jews, but for all men? And I would submit to you that it's all of those. You may disagree. That's okay. Um, I want to share with you a quote from um, MacArthur again from a message he preached. So Paul says, and you hear, you if you listen carefully, I know those are hard to distinguish, give full scope to, make fully effective, and in all its fullness. But I think Paul's uh, rather... Um, MacArthur's um, explanation here of this passage will be helpful. MacArthur says, Paul says, and God told me what to do, and it's my responsibility to do it, to fulfill the word of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means to fulfill the word of God to me and my call. 
It means to preach the word of the gospel. It means to teach the whole counsel of God. It means to fulfill it all, to do what God wants me to do by proclaiming his truth. That's to fulfill the word of God. So Paul says, MacArthur goes on to say, that Paul says, the scope of my ministry is simple. I'm just going to do what God tells me to do. I'm just going to obey him. I'm just going to proclaim his word to the unsaved. I'm going to teach his word to the believers in the only way that he wants me to and in the only place that he wants me to do it. And Paul knew what his calling was because God had said to him, you shall go to the Gentiles and be my apostles to the Gentile. And God designed where he was to go. He went there and he obeyed God. And when he died, he said, I can tell you right now, I have fulfilled my ministry. I've finished my course. The great desire of a minister, the man of God, the great desire of the servant of God, the great desire of anybody in ministry is to fulfill God's will by proclaiming God's word in the place of God's call. And Paul wouldn't let anything stop him. Absolutely nothing would stop the Apostle Paul from doing what he knew God wanted him to do. That's the scope of the ministry. Fulfill it. Don't do a half-baked job. Don't do a three-quarter job. Don't slough it off. Do the whole job in the place that God has called you to do it. And that, my people, takes tremendous commitment to do it. So I think that, that covered all three in very simple language. Do it where God called you. Do it to the fullest. Don't slough it off. Do it fully. That's the minister of God. So Paul's message. So now we're moving. If you go back to page one there, to outline his commission to preach, Paul's appointment, we did that. Verse 25, we just finished that. Now we're on Paul's message. And I think what we're going to do is stop because that's a great place to stop and I think that's a good place to pick up, and you can look at that this week if you want, and we'll pick right back up at Paul's message under Paul's commission to preach. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll have extra fellowship time.